You know, that's uh, one of those uh, hymns that, uh, for me, brings back uh, memories of uh, Lenten journeys of childhood, uh, of really, week after week, coming face to face with that reality that, what a sinner I am, chief of sinners though I be, but in spite of. Whatever kind of sinners we are and however we have wandered, we have a loving God who pursues us as a merciful God and Father. I, uh, growing up, was blessed like probably many of you where um, I didn't go off to preschool, I didn't go off to daycare. I was tended to, cared for by my mother until the time that I went to kindergarten. And so every day we were together, and, you know, I I knew, you know, pretty much mom's routine. Monday was wash day, Tuesday was iron day, you know, Wednesday, you know, just kind of, there was a pattern. And then came uh, shopping day, that was Friday. And I remember, uh, and it's strange sometimes the things you remember directly out of your childhood, but I remember... Uh, going with mom to Publix on 34th Street and University Avenue, the one not too far from our neighborhood, and it was shopping day. And my parents were strict, and so, you know, you did what they told you. You just kind of followed in line. I think that's probably the only way you can manage five children at once. But, but this day, it was just me. I was maybe four years old. Therefore, all the other children, they're in school, and it's mom and me at Publix. And somehow I got separated. And I don't know, I mean, most likely it's I wandered off. And uh, and I've tried to ponder, you know, if any way I could remember what led me to go astray. Was I just distracted and looking at a display? You know, did Publix back then give cookies away to little children like me like they do, you know, today? If you have a child and you go by the, you know, bakery, you say, can I have a cookie, please? And they give you a cookie. But either way, this is what I do remember. I remember being afraid, and I remember crying. And then the next thing that I can remember, and I don't know if someone brought us together or mom went, you know, looking through the store, and there she found me, uh, but I remember mom finding me and me clinging to her leg, so thankful that I was found. There's nothing like being found when you are lost. Today we have, uh, for me, my favorite parable of Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son. Matter of fact, this may even be, for me, my favorite chapter, chapter 15 of Luke, uh, that chapter sometimes referred to the chapter of lost things, uh, the lost sheep, uh, the lost coin, the lost uh, um, son. Well, today we're going to be focusing on, again, that favorite parable of mine, that one of the lost son. But it begins with this, this, um, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are attacking Jesus. They are confronting him on the things that they disagree with, the things that are personally bothering them. And that is He's hanging out with the wrong people. He's hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with tax collectors. 
And just to kind of help clarify, but set the tone, but in chapter 14 of Luke, we have it noted how, you know, they have ears from Jesus. They have ears to listen, but they don't. And so here in chapter 15, using these parables that he gives, Jesus speaks of the joy over one lost, whatever it was, of each of the items, but over one lost, then the others who remain found. One lost sheep, 99 righteous. No greater joy. More rejoicing in heaven over one. Through each of these, Jesus tells of his Father's love for sinners. For us. Chief of sinners though we be. Today we're going to be focusing then, I said, on the prodigal son. But he wasn't lost like me in Publix. No. He wasn't happy with life. Things weren't going his way. His plans, his ideas, they weren't unfolding like he had you know, expected them to and wanted them to. And so he came to his father, and even as you heard Ed read it with that emphasis, but he demanded, give me my inheritance. Now, some things haven't changed a whole lot from generation to generation, and an inheritance does just what the word means. You receive it when the individual dies. Dad's alive. And he's demanding his inheritance. And especially in his culture, that was equivalent to him saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Now that's harsh. Well, my dear friends, there's no doubt that sometimes when we are so headstrong, so set on our plan, our desires, that we ignore and we miss the reality of what we are doing or what we are conveying to others, especially to those who we value and we love the most. Well, the son does it to his father, and yet the father gives him what he asks for. The father loves his son. And because of that love, rather than argue, rather than you know, try to persuade him or even force him to love him back, he lets him go. Well, the son went off. He pursued his plan and, and the freedom that he wanted. And at first, it reads like it was fun. It was adventurous, new friends, wild living. You put in there what it means. His brother conveys what he probably had heard his brother was off doing, talking about, you know, with prostitutes and all. That'll maybe give you a little idea, but it was certainly different than home, and it was fun. But then reality hit. The money's gone. Those who probably were hanging out with him, they disappear, and he's there on his own. He's destitute. He's struggling. And... Remember, he's a Jew, and he takes the only job he can get, taking care of pigs, unclean animals. He eats with them, he sleeps with them, 
but he can't even eat what they're eating, and he's starving. He finally comes to his senses, the text says. That is, that's the repentance, that's the evidence of that repentance, and he recognizes his sinful action, and he believes in his father's love to accept him back. But did you note how? He wants his father to accept him back on his terms. He wants, as his punishment, not to be accepted as a son, but as a servant. The father, he has a heart for the lost. The father's love is shown as he takes the initiative by watching for his son, looking for him. And then when he finally sees him a long way off, he runs to him, he greets him, he welcomes him with open arms. He had compassion on him. Now that, that's an interesting word used there because the word compassion there means that he not just had you know, this emotion of, of you know, compassion, but it says he actually became physically ill. You know, like your stomachs in knots. He had such compassion for him. And he welcomed him home. Maybe it's like when my mom found me in the aisle there at Publix. Not only was I overjoyed to see her, but she expressed joy and compassion over knowing that I was okay. And I have a feeling every one of you sitting here have uh, some kind of a story like that. When I was a, a father with uh, Elizabeth, our first child, and she was probably somewhere around four years of age. Uh, it was my day off. We were home in our house in Nashville, uh, outside doing something, and she's out there with me, and then suddenly I look up and she's gone. And it wasn't a big yard, but right away I'm like, Elizabeth! And I run around the house, and no Elizabeth. And I look around the yards near me, and no Elizabeth. And I'm yelling, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And I finally run in the house, and I yell, Elizabeth, are you in here? And I hear nothing, and I run back outside. And you can imagine, right? You, you've been there. Your stomach, your gut, your heart's just wrenching. Like, what happened? Where is she? Somebody take her. I finally go back in the house after not finding her, looking as many places as I could, outside, under the deck, in the garage, in the yard, in the playhouse, whatever it was, I could not find her. And there she was in the house. What relief. Our Father in heaven, our God, has compassion for the lost. And when found, he extends grace and mercy Freely. He celebrates. That's what he did for this younger son who had wandered from the fold, who had wandered from his presence, who had wandered from his house of grace and love. This parable has two parts. Part A is that of the younger son that we have just spoken of, but then there is the story and the parable the Lord is giving us to teach us about our relationship to him as well with the older son. 
He's been working in the field all day long. He's the faithful one. He's the, the good boy, and he's out there all day long. And when he comes home, what's he hear? Music, dancing. Like, what's going on? I mean, I'm the son to the father, and this is our estate. And what are you guys doing? Why wasn't I invited? What's this all about? And when he hears the reason for the feast, he does what brothers do. He gets angry. He pouts, you could even say. And he refuses to join in the celebration. And again, we see the initiative of the father. Like with the younger son, we see the initiative of the father who came out and pleaded with him, the older son. And the older son self-righteously points to his many years of faithful service, his blameless conduct. He complains that you killed the fatted calf for your, you know, this boy of yours, and he won't even refer to him as his brother. He says, the son of yours, but you won't even give me a simple you know, goat to have a party with my friends. When Stephen and I, and some of you know my brother Stephen and his family, they're members here as well, when we were young and there's only about 20 months difference between us, we thought life was unfair. Maybe some of you did too. He'd get a bigger bowl of ice cream and life was unfair. <laughs> That's not fair, Mom. I'd get in the car and I'd sit in the front seat and he thought it was his turn to sit in the front seat. And, you know, there again, you, the complaining starts and that's not fair, it's my turn. And you know when this really showed up is when we were in the midst of being punished. Because, you know, we would kind of take it out on each other, whether it was in words, whether it was in, you know, hitting each other. But you know what normally happened. Mom or dad, they only saw the last piece. And then the one who got caught normally got the worser of the punishments. By the way, in uh, hockey, that's called the um, retaliation penalty. But it didn't seem fair. But by the way, as parental discipline goes, in the end, everything worked out and evened out. In the parable of the prodigal son, the younger brother didn't feel that life at home was fair. And so he asked, he demanded for his inheritance and freedom. He squandered everything and he came crawling back home, humbling himself. And he was received with open arms, with love. Meanwhile, the older brother didn't think life was fair either. As the model son, he was that good boy. Without any added recognition, life's not fair. Well, in verse 31 and 32, the father responds with love, not anger. Despite the insults of the older son, he affectionately addresses his older son as child 
The father reminds him that the inheritance of the older son is still secure because the father still owns the estate. He points to the necessity for the banquet, repeating this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then the surprising part. Jesus ends this parable abruptly. What happened to the older son? It doesn't tell us. It doesn't say whether he and his father reconciled. It doesn't say, you know, whether, you know, he repented, uh, whether, you know, he even eventually joined the celebration for his brother. We are left to ponder this parable and apply it to our lives. I actually love the fact that the Lord gave us this parable open-ended like that. For our God has a heart for the lost. You and me and all people, no matter if we wander far off or wander only in little ways in our hearts and our thoughts, separation because of sin grieves our Father in heaven. Yet, no matter how we may have wandered or be wandering even at this moment or tomorrow, no matter what, he searches for us. He watches for us. He prays for us to return. And not only that, but our Heavenly Father takes the initiative to forgive us on his terms. Number one. Despite our sin, no matter how great, he continues to love us, seeking us out, and dealing with us on his terms of love and mercy. Two, he showed that love by taking our sin and placing it upon his son, the perfect lamb of God, who paid for the punishment for every sin that we have ever committed or will. Number three, his son did not stay dead, but rose to life again, proving that his father had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. Number four, during times of doubt, he reassures us that we are still his heirs with our names written in the book of life. For as he says in Titus chapter three, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And lastly, his terms of forgiveness include that he promises an eternal banquet celebration for all who believe his promises and join him in heaven. We find that assurance in Revelation 19. My dear friends, when we squander everything, our Heavenly Father is there with a word of assurance. When sickness, when death, when the trials and the struggles of life come, our Savior is there with a word of comfort. 
when we return to our Lord with repentant hearts, our Heavenly Father is there waiting with arms spread wide to welcome us home again in love according to his terms. Yes, our Heavenly Father knows all our sins and in his justice rightly demands payment. But then the ultimate unfairness he placed our sins and our punishment upon his son, Jesus Christ, who offered the perfect payment through his death and his resurrection. Dear friends in God, our God has a heart for lost things. You and me. Amen.